Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. Some of you may remember that last month ministry focus was God's blueprint for the family. And in doing that, that, that month, our, our primary emphasis was on marriage. And the purpose of the whole series was to motivate married couples to strive to be or to have the marriage that pleases God. It was interesting also during the month that we had our married couples and some things were shared there, some things we did. But the main thing that I tried to stress to them that we're in the marriage business. That God is the CEO of that business. So in order for us to accomplish the thing about marriage, we have to follow God's blueprint concerning marriage. Well, the same can be said of this month's ministry focus of raising children. We must, we must follow the blueprint. I submit to you that the reason we have the population in our prison system of young men, and now even young women, is because somebody did not follow God's blueprint. Now, a blueprint is something that's designed for a structure to be built. It's an outline that the builder can follow in order to construct whoever the architect has designed according to his specifications. And sometimes to help the builder, the, 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 the architect will build a model to give the builder, builder a visual example of what the finished product should look like. <laughs> I submit to you, we have a visual example in our text. See, when it comes to parenting, there is no better example about raising children other than looking at our text. It provides information that can be followed with confidence because the child in this text is Jesus, who is perfect. But he's being raised by imperfect parents. And all of you are imperfect. Imperfect. See, Joseph... Jesus, rather, was born of the parents of Joseph and Mary. And his birth was miraculous because Mary was being overshadowed. Her pregnancy came because she was overshadowed with the Holy Spirit. But their ordeal and the events after Jesus was born provides us a perfect example of parenthood. Are you ready? And I'm going to ask you guys to kind of help me in this. By responding to certain things, not that I need it, I just think y'all need to get involved. The first example, which is probably one of the most important ones between this one and the fourth example, I'm giving you four. 
But the first example is parental responsibility is not related to the biological. If you think about that for a minute, I'm going to say it again. Parental responsibility is not related to the biological. One of the things I want you to notice, and Jeff had brought out about the role of the father, and I'm going to focus quite a bit on that, but there are a lot of people who don't have fathers. And although he was not the biological father of Jesus, Joseph did not shun his responsibility of fatherhood. And I submit to you that God will place some people in your life, and I'm going to go with that word, it's parenting. He may place some people in your life that may not be biologically yours, but he's given you the responsibility to impart something into their lives. In obedience to the will of God, Joseph performed the necessary duties of his father, Get this, Jeff, to the child that had been entrusted to his care. He knew, being a good Jewish man, that God's law required him as a father to do three things. So again, the first example is parental responsibility is not necessarily related to biological. Three things. The first thing, I'm going to have to go to the scriptures on this one. Excuse me, Luke 2 and 21. At the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The first thing that Joseph knew that he was responsible for doing as a father, whether biological or otherwise, was to have the child circumcised eight days after he was born. Now, circumcision was a sign of the covenant relationship between God and his people. It was a very big deal. Normally, you would have a whole bunch of family members and friends around as they performed this act of the covenant relationship. This probably wasn't the case with Jesus. His mother and his father was probably in a situation where they couldn't get to all the family that they wanted to. But yet they performed this act that connected the baby Jesus with his father in a relationship, God the Father and God the Son. The second thing, which is really important, I know I'm going to make some people mad, but that's all right, was the fact that he named the child. Name was given symbolically of the child's character and destiny. I'm coming back to that because I, I, I got to hit this. The angel Gabriel had told both parents what the child should name to be. But it was the father's responsibility to name the child. <laughs> if I had time, I would go to the scripture about John the Baptist. When Zechariah was, was, was dumb, they asked, they asked Elizabeth about the child's name. She said, John, 
No, ain't nobody in the family like John. They asked John, what should the baby be? Acts like Ryan, what the baby should be? It was his responsibility. Now, here's the thing that's going to make some people mad. Who's naming the child in the family? And what name are you choosing? If you choose a name based on sound, wherever that sound is, that's your child's character and destiny. So Zibala, you better know what Zibala means. Because that's what you're going to get. Young folks, for those that don't have children, you need to take some time before putting a label on that child. <laughs> Long ago, there was a record, a country western record, about a boy named Sue. No offense. <laughs> Something young. But the bottom line was it was supposed to make him tougher. Well, Jeff has already dealt with that. Life is going to make him tough. You need to put something, and then after you name the child, whoever you name him, I mean, there's so many names in the Bible that you can choose. What it means, and help that child walk out that character that you named them. Another thing, a lot of y'all got biblical names, but y'all don't know what they mean. You know, we got our chairman of that, Joseph, I mean, you know, David, Wilcoxon, Ann Wilcoxon, those are biblical names. Now, I don't know how we got them, but we got them, thank God for that. But you ought to recognize that, number one, let me go back to this, Dad, get involved with naming the child. Another point of this first example is that a man was involved and was active in the child's life. A man was in the house, assuming his rightful responsibility. The child's name was Yeshua. That's the Greek word for the Hebrew word, Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation, or God saves. That's what we're going to be celebrating today. But that was the name they gave him, and the father ensured that the name was Jesus. The third thing, y'all mad yet? Well, just hold on. The third thing was to dedicate or present the Lord, the child to the Lord, verse 22, Luke 2. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to, say Jerusalem, somebody. Say it again. To do what? To present him to the Lord. Now, according to Exodus 13, not only did the law command that the parents have their firstborn child circumcised in name, 33 days later, they were supposed to take him to the temple of God. Where were they supposed to take him? See, in Jerusalem was the temple. What is the modern day temple? Let's go to the second example. Y'all ain't made mad yet? Okay. 
Second example, they brought the child to the church, to the Lord. While the circumcision and naming could be accomplished at the home, the presentation of the dedication of the child had to be done at Jerusalem in the temple of God. Y'all hold that thought because I got something else I'm going to end with on that. Now the parents did not view taking this child to the temple as an option. It was what the Lord required. But as Jeff has said, not only was it what the Lord required, it was what he desired. There are two times in the New Testament that Jesus expressed anger or what we call righteous indignation. One was at the the temple when they made his house a den of thieves, but the other time was when his own disciples told them to get them children out of here. Jesus rebuked them and told them then, allow the children to come unto me and forbid them not. Y'all think that's no big deal? Well, he told some other people, he said, it was better if you tie a millstone or a big rock around your neck and be tossed into the sea to offend one of these little children that believe in me. Third example. Surround yourself and your children with godly people of wisdom. Let me read it a different way. Surround yourself and children with godly, mature elders who are wise. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem. Where was he at? What's in Jerusalem? Whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Make sure them old people got some spirituality in them. And had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord. Now Luke is going to identify two people. This is the first one. Two older people who encouraged this couple. Simeon was a man of impeccable character. Now the Bible don't tell us when this was revealed to him, but he was assured that he would not die until he saw the Christ child. Verse 27 said, And he came in the spirit into where? And when he, the parents brought in the child Jesus, where they bring him into what? To do for him according to the custom of the law. He took up, took him up in his arms and blessed God and blessed God and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your service depart in peace according to your word. When Simeon saw this couple bringing their child to the temple, he knew they were being obedient to the law. And of all, he went that often. Of all the time that he seen other children, this one was special, but he knew it. When he picked up the child, he blessed God. He'd been like a soldier. A sentinel waiting for something. And now he was experiencing the change of God. His tour of duty was over. God had fulfilled his promise. And Simeon felt he could now die in peace. He had seen God's salvation. The child he held in his arm was something he longed for for many years. 
He spoke to them about this child. And verse 33 says, and his father. Notice it didn't say his mother first. It didn't say Joseph, his stepfather. It said, and his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon did what? Bless them. Hold on to that. And said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of men in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. A sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Parents was all struck with wonder. The expectation of this child was far below reality. Like most Jews, they had this concept that Messiah was going to be a victorious earthly ruler. But the words rise and fall are words that implies conflict. And the sign that is opposed reveals fierce hostility. But the purpose was going to be, it was going to determine what was in the heart of man. You either believe or you don't. Here's the point I want to get back to. Notice what Simeon did. It says he blessed them. Now, this blessed word blessed means to endure with power for success. Prosperity and longevity. But where did this blessing come at? It was in Jerusalem, in the temple. You see, Mary and Joseph would have missed their blessing if they never brought their child where? I submit to you that those times that you really don't want to come to church, those times you play hooky, you may have missed a blessing. And later on when your child go crazy, that was the one thing they needed that particular day and you need it too. You ain't mad at me yet? Then Simon spoke personally to Mary. And this is an example I think that many of us don't like. You see, when a child get grown and leave home, they don't leave your heart. Some of y'all are going through something similar that me and my wife is going through even as grandparents and great-grandparents. There are some things that's going on with your child that just rips your heart. He told Mary basically this, the pain of a childbirth would seem pale in comparison to what she was going to experience when she saw her baby boy hanging on that cross and being pierced in the side. But there was a purpose behind her pain. My wife gave me a thought yesterday 
And I want y'all to get this. Your pain is not in vain. And all of us that are parents that have had disappointment and had hurt, and if you ain't had it yet, you just wait because you will. Because there is no perfect child. Just hang in there, but remember because your pain is not in vain. It takes that for some of them to get where God wants them to go. And don't prevent them from going through. I testify quite a bit. That's one of the biggest mistakes I made with my son. Trying to cover his mess and prevent him from going through the pain that he should have went through. He went through it later in life. Thank God. Second godly person was a woman by the name of Anna. She was 84 years old and was a widow. But she totally dedicated her life to serving God. Sister Mary, she did that. I won't read this because I'm going to speak to the lady and then I'm going to speak him speaking to the man. Notice what it says in Luke 36. And there was a what? Some of y'all are ashamed to say that. Because I told the Rima class, see, God's going to use some of you women to speak. And I ain't talking about up here either. But he's going to use you to speak right where you are. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineas, and the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and, they, and then as a widow until she was 84. Get this. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and praying night and day. I can't even get y'all to come to church. Here's a woman that didn't leave the church. See, when you get old, you try to make excuses. I'm talking to the seniors, Jack. We, we make excuses. Young people say we ain't, I ain't ready yet. I ain't there yet. Y'all in the wrong century. Old people say, let the young people do it. Well, if the young people don't do it and the old people don't do it, it don't get done. Verse 38. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This, this, this aged woman validated the proclamation that Simeon had made that this child of Joseph and Mary who was the Messiah. And from that moment, her prophetical gift began to work. She began to tell everyone that this is him. Y'all been waiting for him, but here he is. Jack, she didn't allow her age to become an excuse for not serving the Lord. If you can't do no more than say, God revealed to me what child in this church 
you want me to pray for. You can do that. And you can be diligently in doing it. Set a time away to pray for a particular child that you know. You mad yet? The fourth example will probably make you mad then. The fourth example is parenting requires inconveniences. Parenting requires inconveniences. Now I'm going to talk mainly to the men here, but it applies to all. Now Luke's account of this event mainly deal with Mary, but Matthew focus more on the man. You see, when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he considered divorcing her in order not to embarrass her or to keep her from being stoned because that was the law in that day. And when he made the arrangement, he was free from the commitment of the marriage contract. Now, the key thing that you're going to have to follow in this one, I'm a person that loves naps. I try to take me a nap daily, and when I don't take it, things don't go right. But how many of y'all love a good night's sleep? I mean, just a good night rest in a comfortable bed. All right. I want you to keep that thought in mind of how much you like sleep when the time is right. Matthew chapter 1. See, Joseph was at peace with his decision about Mary. He went to bed. But that night, He had a disturbing dream that interrupted his peace. See, during the night, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. He was told, don't be afraid, Mary, 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 child that's been seized of the Holy Ghost. Verse 24 of Matthew 1 said, when Joseph got up from what? Can you imagine? Already don't have a bad dream. Then you get woke up. You ever had a dream that was so bad it just woke you up? Notice that he did as the Lord's angel commanded him. He married her. But did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. Let's just kind of dissect this. She's pregnant. He married her. How long is the pregnancy? At least, at least nine months, right, Amber? At least nine months, sometimes a little longer. Sometimes we want it to be shorter, don't we? Anyway. From that night on, after the dream, Joseph's life changed. Here he is, he has a young why? Well, a child on the way, but he got to wait 
before he enjoy the privilege of being a husband. That's inconvenience. That, that, that's really inconvenient. And, and y'all don't live with a pregnant woman. Y'all know it ain't no fun, no way. And then, well, anyway. <laughs> but that ain't all. That, that, that's just one of several inconveniences. And I'm talking to the men. A lot of times, you're going to have to realize as a father, you're going to have to experience some inconveniences. That's what it means, Fred, when it says, the husband loves your wife as Christ loved the church, because Christ was inconvenient. He had to leave his home in glory and die for you. Okay. Verse 13, chapter 2 of Matthew. Now, I'm reading from the Christian, Holman Christian Standard Bible. Verse 13 says, And they were gone. Who was gone? Well, this is where the shepherds came in and, and you know, and, uh, you know, acknowledged that the babe was there. Says an angel of the Lord suddenly, what would the time take? Certainly appeared to Joseph. How? Uh, okay. That dream means you're sleeping, right? And notice what it says, saying, do what? Get up. Now, I'm out here sleeping now. I'm, I mean, it's, it's the rim that covering the eyes. We're going back. You having some good sleep, and the angel tell you, get up. Knowing what it said, it didn't say, Joseph, you go. It said, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and say until I tell you to. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Verse 14 says, what? No, he turned over, right? Lord, is this really you? Y'all know how we throw out that fleece? If it really you, let me dream it again tomorrow. <laughs> he took the child's mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. So we find out once again, Joseph's sleep is interrupted. He had to get up and run, because this word flee means he had to run for his life. Herod began to kill every baby under the age of two. I thought about this, Jeff, I said, man, being a man, myself, a father, what must have been going through Joseph's mind? I've been sleeping two times, and here I get to wake up out of my sleep, and now this time I got to get out of town. I got to rush up, I got to get my backpack, I got to get everything going. Come on, Mary, come on, let's go. He got to do all this stuff. And I came up with this, what I would do. Lord, you told me not to be afraid to marry this woman. Now you don't woke me up again in the middle of the night telling me to run for my life. Now wait a minute, Lord. If you can cause pregnancy to come without sex, surely you can wipe out Herod and all I got to do is stay here. I mean, you're all powerful and all knowing why I got to run. Just kill it. Joseph was a carpenter. I had no problem finding work. He was in a stable, comfortable environment. 
So this move was very inconvenient. Some of you fathers, blood and biological, got to come out of your comfort zone. And some of your comfort zone is you don't want to confront the mother. Because what's going to happen after that going to be inconvenient. <laughs> and that ain't all. Verse 19 of chapter 2. After Herod died, wow, everything is good, right? And then the Lord suddenly, how often? Suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph. I will say again. In Egypt. You told me to go to Egypt. I'm there. Saying, guess what? Get up. I wonder, why in the world can't you give me these visions in the daytime? Why I got to be asleep and everybody, you got to wake me up? So don't, don't, don't call me, y'all, next couple weeks, okay? <laughs> Take the child and mother and go. To the land of Israel. I just told me to go to Egypt. Because those who sought the child, life or dead. So he did what? And did what? And he went to the land of Israel. Again, Joseph got to get up out of sleep and go. Now, Egypt was special. He probably don't got comfortable in Egypt, but because of obedience, he went. Coming back home may have been filled with mixed emotion. See, Egypt was rich, and a carpenter made good money. Moving back again, going to inconvenience him and the family, because now Jesus is growing up. But when he heard, according to verse 22, the Archelaus were ruling over Judea in the place of Father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Now he's doubting God because, you know, all powerful God ain't doing what I thought he would do. And he was warned. How? Can't you send a prophet? And you just said, you got Anna prophet. Can't you send a prophet to tell me why you got to wake me up? He withdrew to reading the Galilee. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet that he would be called a Nazarene. Hmm. Joseph didn't know that was the reason for him going to Galilee. Even though the danger in Judea was there, Nazareth was not Joseph's choice. The only reason he went there because he feared Archelaus. But again, if God is all powerful and all knowing God, why are you taking care of Archelaus too? This was just another inconvenience. For a father of a child 
that was not his biological child. What's the point of the message? It's inconvenient, evidently, for many of us to get up and go and bring our church children to church on Sunday. We lay in bed Sunday morning. We let the kids stay up late as they want to on Saturday night. We give them a choice about coming to church because it's inconvenient for us to stand up and be what God has called us to be. But we'll sacrifice our time to take them to soccer games. We will make time to take them to little league practices. We squirm and complain, but we will take them to cheerleader practice. But it's inconvenient to bring them to church. Folks, this is a classic sign of unbelief. You can call it what you want to call it, but it's a classic sign of unbelief. If you would force your child to go to public school, and give them a choice to go to church, it's a classic sign of unbelief. You see, if we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, who came and died and paid our sin to death, if we believe that there's a heaven and a hell that everybody must go to, why is our priority so mixed up when it comes to ensuring that our children or raised in an environment that's conducive for us receiving Christ as Savior. Because we evidently don't believe. Children are dying all over this nation. Look at the newspaper. They ain't dying 70s and 80s. Our children need saving. And it's the parents' responsibility to place them in the best situation for them to receive Christ. That's the parents' responsibility, not the church. The church does not make house calls. But we cannot expect unsaved parents to inspire their children to be saved. So we need to work extra hard to make sure those parents are in church and get saved themselves. I know you, some of you are grandparents and you feel like you want to keep a good relationship with your child, but them grandchildren need the Lord. And sometimes you're just going to have to step up and tell them the truth. If they don't receive Jesus Christ as Savior, they will die and go to hell. If you ain't mad, you ought to be. Because I don't want nobody especially one of these little ones, to die and go to hell. 
But we got to follow that perfect example so that they will have an opportunity to receive Christ. Stand with me now. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.